Good morning, everyone. We can grab our seats here. We're going to get started. All right, it's good to see you all this morning. For those that are uh, thinking of joining the choir, please do so. It's going to be fun for, for Christmas. Uh, it's just to really have that space and that time for celebration. And so uh, don't worry if... Uh, if you're just like, I'm joining the choir, but I'm not going to join the worship team, that's okay. We just want you to, uh, uh, what? It's in the morning, morning service. Oh, we're not doing candlelight, yeah, we're not doing candlelight service for the 24th. We have the morning service, and we will include the candlelight into the morning service, because this year it actually lands on the 24th. So it's going to be a great, great time. Uh, and if you want to join the choir, there is going to be a practice that's going to be in place as well, so... Don't feel like you don't you don't get to be a part of that. Actually, when I was studying in seminary, one of the things that part of my program um, was that I needed to do something that was outside of my comfort zone. I needed to serve in a ministry that was outside my comfort zone. So I served in the choir uh, because I went to a all-black church in Chicago, and uh, they made me do. And if anybody knows like black gospel churches, you have to dance when you sing. Um, I didn't know that when I first got into it, and I couldn't do it. I wasn't coordinated enough because I'm very non-coordinated. And uh, the two guys that stood beside me literally, like, pressed into me to move me. <laughs> so it was nice. That's the only way I was able to do the Black Gospel Choir, but it was fun. Uh, so step outside your comfort zone. Do something where God's like, hey, I want you to try something new. Try something fresh. Anyways, uh, for those that are joining us, uh, we are going to be going through Romans 13 today, and uh, some of you that may have been following, like, well, we did Romans 14 last week, why are we doing 13 this week? Well, we actually skipped Romans 13 because we made space and we made a room for Garrick to be able to share his testimony. So the week that Garrick shared his testimony, that was the week that we scheduled for 13, and then I scheduled Andrew for 14 after that, but I didn't want to make Andrew say, put all that work into it and then have to do a new sermon, and so we're just backtracking a little bit to Romans 13. Um, but yeah, we want to be flexible in this. We want to be able to say, hey, this is an opportunity for us. This is an opportunity for uh, us to hear from one of our members as well, and so we really wanted to open that space up for Garrick uh, to share his testimony. So today we're going to go into Romans 13, and then we'll be jumping back to Romans 15 next week. Um, and so, yeah. That being said, let's pray and we can get into the scripture today. Father, we come before you um, just in humility and with an open heart. We ask for you to speak to us, for your spirit to move, and for us to know you more. So Lord, we come together as a community knowing that you love us and that your grace moves before us. So Lord, we lift this time into your hands. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, Book of Romans. As we know, the Book of Romans is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. Right? That's why it's called the Roman letter. So this church, as we know, it, is a church that this mosaic, diverse background of people and cultures. And this church was in a place where, in some ways, it was struggling a bit. 
is struggling in the sense because for the first time, we have a group of people in which we have the Jewish people, which carries this tradition, and they're, they're like, we, we're, the, we're, we're the people that Jesus came out of. This is, these are our traditions. This is the way we do things. And you're taking this Jewish tradition, but alongside that, now all of these Gentiles, these people that are non-Jewish, okay, non-Jewish people, just everybody else is called Gentiles in, in, in the biblical language, okay? So you and I, if you're not Jewish, we're all Gentiles, have come to know who Christ is. But at the same time, these people don't know the tr Jewish traditions. And in fact, in many ways, they really don't care about these Jewish traditions. They're like, well, we don't, we don't, we don't eat a certain way. We don't do things a certain way. And Pastor Andrew kind of addressed that last week where it's just like, we're, we're different. People, we, we, don't, we don't observe this, the, the same traditions that you observe, but we believe in the person of Jesus. And so the church was in tension because of that. There's this tension of, of uh, we don't observe the same things. But on top of that, the early church was really closely watched. And oftentimes, in that time, the ruling Roman Empire felt that the church was threatening to them. That's why the early church was persecuted. The early church was persecuted because the Roman Empire saw what the church was doing and they recognized that the church was doing something different. But they also recognized that the church was doing something. There was this call to the church that was moving, the, moving even beyond what the government was actually implementing. And so in so many ways, the Roman government felt threatened by the church. It felt threatened because it felt like this was a power that was coming to overthrow the government. And so, it, it, so oftentimes, Christians of those days were arrested, thrown into prison. Some were even crucified because they wanted to make a spectacle, follow our rules or die. Do as we, do as we set and do as we, we lead and rule or suffer the consequence. And so the church was... In this tension, in, in Rome, the church in Rome was even facing it even a little more, more in your face because they're in the city of Rome. They're in the capital. They're in the place where, where, the, where rulings are coming together. And so there was this external pressure, but there was this internal str struggle as well. And Paul was addressing all of these things in this letter to the Roman church. And so as we have already gone through the first half of the letter, the first half of the letter embodies the story and Paul reminds the church of the story of Jesus. This is what Jesus has done. This is who we are. This is, this is why the church exists. This is where we get our strength from. This is where we receive grace from. This is how we extend mercy because we receive mercy. You're empowered by something that is greater than yourself. And the, the, the first half of the book really talks about that. And then Paul goes into this aspect of now as a church, this is how we are to respond to all these things. But remember the Jesus story first. Remember the Jesus story because it's in that Jesus story that you're going to receive that grace to walk out what I need you to walk out as a church. And so we get to this part of Romans 13, and it says this. If you have your Bibles, turn to it. 
It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists God, what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is, a, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God and an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoers. Therefore, one must be, must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God. Attending to this very thing, pay to all that is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue from whom revenue is owed, respect to whom re respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. These verses are often used by the church to say we just need to, we need to listen to the authorities, the government, the government that is in place. And Paul tells the church to submit or subject to the rulers and, and to follow what is in place, follow the law of the land. Paul's charge to the church really is about following Jesus' story. Remember, he says, do what Jesus did, remember what Jesus done, live the life that Jesus lived, and then he comes to this place. Actually, in chapter 12, he ends off with love your enemies, and then he goes talking about authority, right? I think it's, it's very, very... Um, deliberate the way that Paul writes, right? It's not just this, oh, it's these compartmentalized parts, but there's this deliberate aspect to the way that Paul writes, where he's like, love your enemies and then be subject to the authority that are, give, that are put in place. This is hard. Remember, the, the early church is under persecution, right? The early church doesn't actually agree with a lot of the things the Roman government is actually doing. They're actually finding it very difficult to actually follow all the rules because they feel under, they, they're under this pressure, but it's not just a pressure. It, it feels almost like they're held back. That now these laws overrule what is in place that they've had for generations. That the Roman government is now here and that it's, it kind of cancels out what their belief systems are. Because you, if you know the Jewish system and the way that Israel was run, oftentimes the law and religion and our faith was very intertwined. And now the Roman government comes in and they're kind of turning things upside down. They're turning things around. And so the Roman church is like, I can't deal with the government. I don't want to deal with the government. I don't want to do what the government has imposed onto us. And it feels like an imposition. It doesn't feel right. And so Paul says, love your enemies. And then this. Subject yourself to the rulers because these rulers are put in place by God. I believe that Paul was encouraging the, the believers to recognize the authority structures as instruments to establish and maintaining order and justice. That these rules were in place to maintain some sort of order, right? Without order, civilization can be kind of chaos, 
Right? So these rules were there, and Paul was like encouraging the church that this authority that's put in place, they're here to maintain order and justice. And so Paul's urge to submission was more of an invitation. It was an invitation to maintain peace. Okay? That's one of the things that, that Jesus did. If we look at Jesus' story, Jesus always maintained a level of peace. He followed the rules. Yes, he challenged a lot of things. He challenged a lot of the laws. He challenged a lot of things. But he always, always did things in a place where there was order. He always did things in a place where he participated in what, what the, the governing authority was. Jesus paid his taxes, right? When, when the disciples came to Jesus and, and he's like, oh, we, we owe these, this money. What, what, what would we do? And Jesus is like, pay them. Do it. Jesus never, never encouraged this aspect that we just do our own thing if we don't agree with the government. He says, do it. He says, pay unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, right? Jesus understood that. He's like, just do it. Follow the laws. Follow and be a good citizen. And that's exactly what Paul was emphasizing in this, this passage here. Be a good citizen. It's an invitation for you to be agents of peace. It's an opportunity for you to be a witness. You may not need to agree with it, but be a good witness. And Jesus did that even to a point of death on the cross. Right? Jesus was formally charged by the government system, by the laws of the land. His death on the cross was formally charged. He wasn't just thrown up there. That he was charged, that he sat before a judge, and the judge says, you're going to be condemned. You are going to die because of what you're doing. And so Jesus followed the law of the land, even to death on the cross. And so Paul is saying, be a good citizen. Yes, you may not agree with everything that's going on, but be a good citizen. Be a good witness. But we also need to take this context of the time where Paul writes this, right? We also need to take the context of where, how government functioned back then in Paul's time versus how government is now functionally because it is very different. What Paul had and what Paul and Jesus was writing about was during the time of a Roman authority of Caesar, and Caesar was seen as God, right? That Caesar is appointed by God. We live in a system right now where it's a democratic society, where our leaders are voted in, and that we as citizens get to participate in government to choose our leaders. So in, in many ways, Paul was addressing when he says These, this authority was, is appointed to you by God. It's very relevant to, to the, the, the readers of the time. The, the, the Roman church is very relevant. She's like, yes, because this is, how, this is how society deems it, right? Even in the Jewish, Jewish kings, it was appointed by God. There's an uh, appointment, but I, today 
I don't believe that our leaders in our democratic society is actually appointed by God. It's elected by men. That we put our authorities in place and we get to participate who actually gets to go into that leadership. Right? And so I think it is a little different. We have to read it in context. But I believe that the heart of it is still the same. The heart of what Paul is writing is really about just being a good citizen. We don't have to agree with how our government does things. We don't have to agree with what our government is doing. Actually, in fact, I read an article this week that the Canadian Human Rights Commission deemed that Christmas and Easter are holidays that are obvious examples of systemic religious discrimination rooted in colonial biases. That just came out this week. That our current government is now deeming Christmas and Easter as holidays that discriminate against others. And so I don't know what that's going to lead us to, right? I don't know where that's going to lead the church to. But here's the thing that we could rest on. That no matter what laws get put in place, we could still be good citizens. And we could still be good Christians. That it doesn't matter what laws are given, that we could still exist as a church. I think sometimes in the West and Western societies, we're a little spoiled. We're spoiled in the sense that we, there's a lot of assumptions and a lot of things that we just assume should be a certain way. But we forget that the rest of the world still has churches. And those churches exist despite what the law of the land is. That there are many churches around the world that are persecuted for their, for, for their faith. That Christmas is not a thing in many countries around the world. That Easter is not a thing in many things around the world. Because those government systems and those rulers and the, 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 the law of the land does not recognize any of these things. Yet the church still exists. Yet the church still thrives. Yet the church still celebrates these holy holidays. That we don't, it doesn't actually matter whether these things are actually taken away from us. That we still, as a church, exist beyond all of those things. That there are a lot of churches and a lot of Christians, a lot of brothers and sisters around the world that are persecuted. That they don't have the freedom to actually do these things. Yet they're thriving. Even more so than the church here. That these churches continue to be able to exist despite what the law says they are allowed and not allowed to do. Look at the church in North Korea. Does it exist? Absolutely. Are there Christians there? Absolutely. Yet at the same time, if they declare their faith, they can suffer severe consequences. Look at the church in China, same thing. Look at the church in Qatar, same thing. Look at the church in, in the Middle East, same thing. All of these places, the church still thrives. The church and our belief systems doesn't die with the law of the land. And so Paul is writing to the Roman church. And he's saying, yes, there's things that you don't agree with, but you 
as a church, can still do something about it. And he frames it with the second part of chapter 13. Paul writes and says, yeah, we need to recognize the government system is different. So what do we do? He goes on to say, verse eight, owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling, is the fulfilling of the law. Paul goes, love your enemy, follow the authority, even if you don't agree it, because this is the reason. And the reason is to love your neighbor. The reason is love. Paul frames the submission to authority with a call to love each other. This call is the narrative of God. This call is who God is because in John 3.16 we know that God says, for God so loved what? The world. That means that everything is in it. God loves the world. That We function because God loves. We love because God loves. And so what is our job to do as a church? Our job to do as a church is to love. And Paul says that to love your neighbor is the commandment that sums all of the laws and all the commandments together. It brings everything together. Love your neighbor. Where does this come from? It comes from what the Jewish people know as a prayer called the Shema. It's found in Deuteronomy 6. And it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. And then what's after that? Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus goes and he reiterates and emphasizes this. And he says that the two greatest commandments is to love God and to love your neighbors. Right? And in Luke 10, Jesus is in this kind of debate with this lawyer. And the lawyer's kind of being cheeky. And he's just like, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives us this parable, one of the most well-known parables of the Good Samaritan. You guys know that story? It was a, a Levite that gets robbed on the side of the street. And Jesus says, this man was robbed and uh, everybody passes except for the Samaritan. And the Samaritan picks up this man and cares for him, restores him, takes care of all the finances, takes care of everything, and even comes back to check on him. And Jesus specifically uses a Samaritan because for the Jewish people, the Samaritans are the outcasts. They're people that we don't associate with, right? Who are the Samaritans in the Bible? Do you guys know? The Samaritans are Jewish people. 
Samaritans are Jewish people that got split off. It's actually the northern Jewish people that got split off from the southern Jewish people during the Babylonian conquer, right? They're the people that remained in northern, northern Israel. And what happened when the Assyrians came in is that they remained and then they started to, to uh, mingle with the Assyrians and Samaritans came out of that. They're kind of a half-breed of Jewish people. And so the Jewish people looked down on them. But after when, when the Babylonian conquer was over and Jew, Jerusalem was reestablished, the Samaritans built their temple on one hill, the Israelites built their, their temple on the other hill, and that's where the whole great divide happened. Samaritans are actually brothers. Samaritans are actually known to be from the tribes of Joseph, right? from his two sons, Manasseh. And that's where we get the Samaritans. They're, they're looked down upon. And Jesus specifically uses them because Jesus is like, look, if they could do this, so can you. Jesus went to the extremes all the time, right? He always used extreme illustrations because he wanted to challenge the heart of the Jewish people. He wanted to challenge their hearts and says, think outside of what you know. Love outside of what you know because it's always easier to love our own people. It's always easier to love people that agree with us. It's always easier to love people that, that, that strengthen our own worldviews. It's easy to love people that, that see things the same way as you do and it's often hard to love people that don't. It's often when we... When, when we get into conflict with people, oftentimes it's because it's a disagreement of an opinion, right? That we think this certain way and you don't think this way, so therefore we're at conflict with each other. But Jesus says, no, love. Love them. Love your enemies. Love your neighbors. Loving your neighbors isn't a good suggestion. It's a commandment. That all the commandments can be summed up in this command. That if you love your neighbor, you're not going to commit adultery. That if you love your neighbor, you're not going to murder. That if you love your neighbor, you will not steal or covet. To love God and to love your neighbor is something that you ought to do. It's not a suggestion, guys. It's a commandment. So what does this mean to love our neighbors? Our neighbors is anybody that is around you, regardless of ethnic, religious, or socioeconomic status. And Jesus pushes this even further by saying that we are to practically demonstrate our love to our neighbors. The Good Samaritan didn't just bandage the man on the side of the road up. He practically took care of his needs. A couple weeks ago I shared with you that uh, my neighbors right now don't really like me because my stuff grows into their yard. And so my way of practically loving them is to just cut everything down and just massacre all the plants in my, 
literally massacred everything um, and poured down like things that don't let it regrow. I have this huge bamboo tree. I don't, I don't know if you guys know, but bamboo is the worst. Don't plant, plant bamboo, okay? It's like a grass and it grows everywhere. Like it comes through our deck boards, like underneath. It's not even, we didn't even plant it in those places. It's coming through. So pesticides, everything. Like I know for those environmental people, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know how to deal with it any other way, okay? So kill everything. Just kill. That, that's my thing. Kill everything so that my neighbors are satisfied. Right? It's a weak example, but practically do things to love your neighbors. Right? Do things to care for your neighbors. I know my one neighbor that parks in the street really hates me encroaching into his, his, his space. He often puts a bucket in the front to reserve his own spot. It's illegal, by the way, because it's city, city land. It's not his property. But he puts a bucket there. And, and uh, one time I saw someone move the bucket and put it onto his lawn. And I saw that. I'm just like, mm, you kind of deserve it. But you know what? I went in and picked up the bucket and put it back for him. <laughs> I said, he needs to reserve his space, so I'm going to help him. I don't agree with it. But practically, it helps him, right? It doesn't, know, it doesn't do any harm, right? Those are things that you can practically do that doesn't do any harm. Here's the thing is that what, how to, when we love our neighbor, this is a very practical expression of the church. This is a very practical way for us as a church to be radical in the way that we live. That we can make a difference, that we can do something that is extraordinary that the world doesn't expect. To love our neighbors isn't something that I'm going to tell you what to do, but I believe the Holy Spirit will move you to do to be more like Jesus. To be radical in our love for our neighbors is to have courage to walk into places that others do not walk in. To go to, to walk into these places because we bring the presence of God into those places. As a church, we're called to do that. We're called to go into the dark spaces just as Jesus did. You see, Jesus, throughout his ministry, he always associated himself with people that the Jewish people says don't associate with. He associated with the tax collectors. Jesus had a tax collector as one of his disciples. Do you guys know what a tax collector is? Tax collectors in the Jewish society is seen as traitors to the Jewish society because they work for the Roman government. They... The Jewish people see these tax collectors, these Jewish people, oftentimes they're Jewish people, as people that sold out for the Roman government. That they're scum. That they're, they're, use, they're, they're nobodies because they sold themselves out for money. Oftentimes tax collectors were very wealthy. Right? The Romans loved them. They were very wealthy. And so... Jesus not only calls Matthew, who's a tax collector, to become his disciples, there's a story of a man named Zacchaeus. You guys know that story? You probably 
those that grew up in the church know the song Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Right? He was this little short stature guy and he really wanted to see Jesus and he climbed up the tree just to see Jesus and Jesus calls him down from the tree and he's like, I'm going to come to your house tonight to eat. That was radical because the people that were following Jesus, they know who Zacchaeus is. Zacchaeus is the chief of tax collectors. He's not just some little tax collector. He was a very wealthy chief of tax collectors. And Jesus is like, I'm going to come to your house to eat. Anybody that was Jewish looked at that and was like, what is going on here? How dare you go to that tax collector's house? How dare you associate yourself with that person? He's a traitor. Do you know who he is? Yet Jesus is like, I'm going to come to your house to eat. And what ends up happening is Zacchaeus, his heart is so moved and touched with Jesus that he changes his ways. So he's like, I'm going to pay back what I took from others, but I'm going to double it. And Jesus says, because your heart is changed like this, I know that you're one of my followers. That Jesus knew that he needed to be the light in Zacchaeus' life. That in the darkness of Zacchaeus' heart, that he brought light into that space. That when Jesus enters into those spaces, it changes the atmosphere. It changes the presence of, of what's happening in those places. Where greed was once there, generosity comes in. Right? That he changes the atmosphere. That as a church, our call as a church is to change the presence of those places because we entered into those places. I think as a church, oftentimes we move with fear and not with courage. We're afraid of how others will see us instead of what God is calling us to do. That we don't, we disassociate with things because of the fact that, oh, what if the public sees us in this place? How will they judge us? How will they see us? Yet Jesus never worried about that. Because Jesus is like, my presence will bring a change into that space. And that's what we are to do as a church. We're to go in there and bring the presence of Jesus Christ into those places to change the atmosphere of those places. That's what we're called to be as a church. Jesus often did this. He met with a Samaritan woman at the well, right? He stooped down when the Pharisees tested him with the adulterous woman, and Jesus went into that space. Jesus constantly went into the places of darkness where nobody else wants to go, and he brought light. Why? Because Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us to be salt and light of the earth. What does salt and light do? Salt and light exposes and changes things, right? Light exposes things that are in darkness. Salt changes, preserves, enhances, makes something new. One of the things that my kids like to eat is kanji. You guys know what kanji is? It's like a Chinese rice porridge kind of thing. Kanji on itself tastes disgusting. 
I'm sorry, I'm Chinese and I, and I do eat kanji. But when you add salt to it, when you add flavoring to it, it becomes this comfort food, right? My wife made kanji for my kids the other day and, and uh, as we're preparing it, I didn't know she didn't add salt yet, so I take the first bite, I'm like, well, what is this? <laughs> this is just chicken flavored rice. Like, where, what, what is this? But the second you add salt to it, it changes it. It becomes something that's palatable, right? That's what salt does, that's what light does, it exposes salt, preserves, it enhances, it, it changes, it heals. There's a healing component to salt. And so Jesus says, be the salt and light in, the, in, in places that don't have light and don't have salt. That's your job to do it. Love your neighbor. And so Jesus goes on, um, and, and so not Jesus, Paul goes on and says, let us cast off the work of darkness and put on the armor of light. Right? Where does he say that? Right there. Cast off darkness and put on light. Church, this is your call. I just want to quickly address something I know that is of concern. I don't want to, I don't want this to be something that has to be bigger than it has to be. But I know that there's a couple people that has brought up a little concern about us going into the United Church for Christmas. And then if you're, you're thinking about this, I want to address it together as a church. And it is this. Queens Avenue United in New Westminster has a reputation, and uh, most of you that live in New West know the reputation, right? That the reputation of the church has kind of parted ways with mainline churches. That it's, in, in many ways, very affirming, very liberal theology. I believe the, the cautions are good. I believe that the cautions are things that we need to think about because with, by us going in there, what does it mean for Five Stones Church, right? Are we going to be assumed or associated with Queens Avenue United? And I believe this, is, this passage helps us really of how we should approach our, us going to Queens Avenue United. That as a church, we're not condoning or, or conforming to what they teach, okay? But as a church, we're called to change the narrative and the agenda of what has been proclaimed. That we can become the change that is by bringing in the presence of God into that space. That the gospel of Jesus is what gives us grace and hope, and so we, at the same time, extend grace and hope. The space does not determine who we are, but we, as God's people, change the spaces and the atmosphere of the places we go into. This is that idea of light into darkness. I believe that we need to have courage to go into these spaces and places where darkness resides. And this becomes an opportunity for us to be a witness to the community. It becomes an opportunity for us to bring gospel transform transformation into that space. 
Going into Queens Avenue United Church is an opportunity for us to be a witness and to possibly open a door into a conversation that the church may have never had the opportunity to enter into. I believe that God will be in and is in whatever the conversation will be, and I trust that we can bring healing to a community that is looking for truth. This is actually about loving our neighbors. And so I want us as a church to confidently walk into that space, to worship in that space, not because of what they're affiliated with, but who we're, we're affiliated with. That as Five Stones Church, we can walk into that space confidently knowing that God's spirit goes with us, that his presence goes before us. That as we worship there, that we're gonna change the atmosphere of that community. We have a great relationship with the church. And I want to continue that relationship with that church. I want to be able to have a space where we're able to have the conversations. And I believe that us going in this time is going to really become a blunt conversation. And we're prepared as elders. We've discussed this as elders. We've, we're, we're, we're in a place where we're just like, yes, we're prepared to give an answer. We're prepared to, to, to bring truth into this space. I think it's good. I think it's an opportunity. I see it as a great opportunity for us as a church. I see it as an opportunity for healing. And it's an opportunity for us to be united together. Not because they're the united church, but you get it, right? Romans 13 teaches us to love our neighbors. This message comes alongside the message of love your enemies. This message comes alongside the message of submitting to the governing authorities. It doesn't mean don't protest, don't do any of that stuff. I think all of those things are, are good if you're doing it in the right way, in the right places. Be a good citizen. Do it in a way that actually glorifies the church. Do it in a way that opens more conversations. Do it in a way where we're able to bring transformation into that space and not just to change, because that change over the next government is going to change again. We're in a democratic society. Our laws are constantly changing. Things are constantly changing. But we don't want to just change. We want to transform. Because change can change back. Transformation is a new being. It's a, it's a hard thing. It's an inner thing. It's a core thing. Right? So how do we as a Five Stones Church begin to love our neighbors? I want you guys to think about the spaces that you guys are in and those, 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 those uh, things that maybe you're struggling with in your head or trying to reconcile in your head. Ask yourself, how do I love my neighbor in that place? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing here at Five Stones and what you're doing in our community. And Lord, we want to lift up all of our anxieties in this place to you because we know that you love and you care more than we could ever do it. So Lord, sometimes it, 
feels like you're asking for the impossible and we know that the impossible can be done by you. So Lord, we ask for your presence to be upon us as your church so that we are able to bring your glory, your light, your salt into the places that need you. So Father God, we come together as a community and we humbly come and ask for your presence. We ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your grace and allow your grace to propel us forward as a church, to compel us, to move us, to change us so that we can bring transformation into those places. So Lord, empower us with your grace. May we walk humbly with you and pray all this in Jesus' name. That was a great message, a challenge for us to uh, truly love our neighbors, to change the atmosphere of everywhere that we go, everywhere that we go, no matter if you're in Superstore or you're in your office or you're in uh, a place next door to your neighbors, change the narrative, to change the, uh, the whole atmosphere of what it means to be God's people in this world, that we will no longer conform to the pattern and the design of this world, but be transformative people. And I challenge you to think through, think through with a really well thought out ways of being loving towards your neighbor. People who don't see eye to eye uh, with you, people who disagree with you very uh, strongly even. But yet, in that place, we, we are called to love. So bring something redemptive. Wherever you go, bring something redemptive. Bring something that says, yeah, Jesus has loved me and accepted me, and that's why I'm loving and accepting of you, no matter what happens. Remember, Jesus, even while we were still sinners, what did he do for us, according to Romans 5? Even while we were still sinners, Jesus, he died for us. Father God, may our hearts just be challenged this morning. May our thoughts, thoughts be challenged. May our whole being be challenged. May our, our whole way of life be challenged. To think of your ways. Father God, may our hearts just be, not seek to um, advance our own ideas, our own agenda, but the kingdom's to bring justice, peace, joy, and love wherever we go. Kingdom of God is not about what we eat or do, or, but it's your, your justice, your righteousness, your peace, your love, your joy. So God, help us to bring that redemptive story of the cross where even while we were still sinners, we, we know you died, Jesus, for all of us, all of us sinners. So help us to bring that 
to the others. Help us to love, forgive, help us to bring, bring um, the good news, the gospel. Wherever we go, sometimes God, we are, we are often, because of all the bad things that are happening in our world, all the violence and all the uh, cursing and all the, uh, sometimes we fall into that trap of following after the, uh, the world's ways of dealing with strife, dealing with things that they don't agree with. And they, f they, f they fall in the ways of resolving it through bombing the other people and uh, or being just nuisance and just being uh, being judgmental and, and all that. So help us, God, as your people. We pray that you would do a work in us. Help us to truly embrace your grace, that we will not operate out of fear, but out of love. Because that we know love is the fulfillment of the commandments of, of the law. That is what it's all about. Love God, love our neighbor. So lead us, we pray, as your people. Lead us into, into your love, into your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. And may the Lord just fill you with such grace and peace that you become a difference maker in our world. Amen.